Morning, everybody. Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> Dan asked me what I was going to preach about this morning, so I thought, I thought tithing, but then I thought no. I'm challenged in my heart today because I just sense that God wants the church to break out from these walls, and. You know, when I think about the resurrection, I think you know, in my mind I just see something exploding out of the earth, uh, a sense of a power that cannot be contained. And for so long now, the church has been contained. And I'm really, you know, some of us we come here, and, and you know, honestly, I think most of us sometimes are just thinking about surviving the week. Survival. We've got this kind of survival mode in our minds. And you know, Jesus said, I come to, have, to give you life, and life in all its fullness. That's not just a bit, that's abundance, that's overflowing. And it's about time that we became the happiest people on earth. You know, we've got so much doom and gloom out there, but we are here to celebrate the fact that he is risen. Amen. It's a Pentecostal church, so feel free to shout out anytime, just in case you wonder. <laughs> Okay, good. Last week we looked at the triumphal entry and uh, Rachel brought us a, a good word and, we, and we, we focused on that. And when I think about the triumphal entry, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, my, my first thought is that's not a very royal animal, is it? It's not the kind of thing we think of, is it? We think of a white stallion or a black stallion with the, all that kind of jazz going on. But actually Jesus is about bringing in a different kingdom. And as the people watched him as he came into Jerusalem, it's as if the eyes of their hearts were, were peeled back and they saw Jesus as he really is. And, it, and it, it made them react. They reacted by recognizing who he was and saying, you know, Hosanna to the son of David. They couldn't stop themselves. You know, I, I honestly don't think they could have. The very stones would have cried out. Amen. So we need to understand that when we see Jesus as he really is, there will be a response. There will be an impact in our hearts and in our lives. You know, I was just thinking, what were the disciples thinking as, as Jesus was recognized in that way? They were probably thinking, oh, this is it. This is it. Jesus has been recognized finally as who he is. We've arrived. But... <laughs> But then events overtook them, didn't they? First of all, Jesus is arrested. Then he's tortured. And then he's put to death. And the question must have been on their minds. I can't believe that even a few days ago they were recognizing Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And now here he is, dead and buried and in a tomb. Where is this movement now? And if that was where the story ended, then the movement is dead along with Jesus. Let's pick up the story in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. 
Come see the place where he lay. There has been a change in heaven. There has been a change in heaven. You see, God demanded something be paid for the sin of the whole world. It's, because he, it's not because God hates us. It's because God is holy. And it's not because God did anything wrong. It's because man broke his law. And in breaking his law, he broke his relationship with God. And if that was all that God was interested in, that would have been it. Jesus would never have come, and Jesus would never have died, and Jesus would never have rose again. But the fact is that God cannot or does not want to do without us. He wants us so badly that he was prepared to sacrifice his own son for us. And something changed in heaven when Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood. He said, it is finished. Christ called out, it is finished. And God called out, it is done. It's done. Everything's done. No more has any sacrifice got get to be offered. No more has anybody got to try and work their way into the heaven. It is done. If you believe in my son and you come through him, then you have access to the Father. Hallelujah. The way to the Father is now open. And it's interesting to me that as Jesus gives up his spirit, something happens. You know, this was no ordinary man on the cross. This was God. And he was dying in some way for us. And what happens? First of all, the curtain separating the Holy of Holies is sliced down the center. This is an 80-foot high curtain, very thick material. The hand of God rips it in two. Dead believers are raised to life. And an earthquake occurs around the cross. No wonder one of the soldiers cries out, truly, this was the Son of God. You see, when heaven touches earth, something changes There is a reaction. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There were three days that shook the world. So that over 2,000 years later, we're still trying to come to terms with and understand all that happened on the cross. The religious leaders of the day, they thought they'd done away with this man from Galilee. Now here's the thing, you know, honestly... As I look at the accounts in the, in the Bible, as I think about it, I think the Pharisees knew who Jesus was. I think they knew. But they were not prepared to give up the life that they had. They were not prepared to face the truth and all that meant for them. And so they had to do away with him. They thought that putting him in a tomb, sealing the tomb with a large stone and putting the equivalent of the SAS on guard outside the tomb would in some way interfere or stop the plans of salvation that God had for the world. But not so. For as the two Marys go and visit the tomb, intending to finish the job of preparing Jesus' body for the grave, I'm sure all that was on their mind was, how on earth are we going to move that stone? You know, all the fitness classes in the world would not have done that, would they? It was a big stone. I reckon about two tons. The angel comes down and boom, it's gone. Uses it for a seat. <laughs> They're greeted by the sight of an awesome being. So impressive with this angel that the crack troops on guard duty, they become like dead men. Now you have to understand that the guards that are on, on duty, they don't fall asleep for no one. 
They don't get out of the way for anybody because if they desert their post, they know that not only them, but their families will be put to death as well. But they had to come like dead men as they see this being that is like lightning. They're greeted by a tomb where the stone has been rolled away and by an amazing announcement that Jesus is not here. Jesus is not here. And before the question can be asked by the women, because the next question in their mind was, well, who's moved him then? That was the question. They said, the angel says, he has risen. He has risen. Now, I know that you're not good Anglicans here this morning. However, (laughs) there is a good Anglican report to that. And when I say he has risen, you should say he has risen indeed. So we try that. He has risen. That's pathetic. Come on. Pentecostal church, remember. He has risen. Amen. Amen. Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? Jesus is alive. And I challenge you, if you do not believe Jesus is the Son of God and has paid the price for your sins, show me where his body is today because you will not find it because he is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Jesus, who had been crucified, died and was buried, is now alive. So alive that before he went back to heaven, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he showed himself to over 500 people at one time, plus the disciples and others. Hallelujah. At the heart of our Christian faith is this fact that Jesus is no longer dead. He is alive forevermore. Hallelujah. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We now live in the light of the resurrection and it's that glorious truth that I want to major on this morning. That was just the introduction. The resurrection speaks loudly of a way that is now open. A relationship to God, our Father in heaven, is now possible. That fact alone changes everything. The law has been satisfied. The law has been satisfied. We now live in the age of grace if we choose to. How many of you can remember the time when you understood that Jesus had died for you? Amen? Anybody? Good? that you could invite him into your life, that his life became your life. One of the verses that's impacted me most this year is that my life is hidden with Christ in God. When God sees me, he doesn't see me, he sees Jesus. He sees the blood that Jesus shed on the cross and I'm able to come into his, his presence. Jesus is all the fire protection I need as I come into his presence because he's a holy God. It is fantastic that we can follow Jesus Christ, that through the power that that raised Jesus from the dead, his death and payment for our sin, we can enjoy eternal life. We are bound for heaven. Hallelujah. But wait a minute. We're still here. Why are we not there with God right now? It would make sense, wouldn't it, that if the only reason that we come to God uh, is for us to go to heaven, then we should be there right now, shouldn't we? You see, the experience and knowledge of the resurrection is not to be hoarded by the church. It is not supposed to remain within these four walls. It's the only club that's ever been set up for non-members. Amen? You might have to think about that. 
The knowledge that Jesus has died and risen again, enabling me to come into relationship with God, is absolutely necessary. But it is only the beginning of our relationship and understanding about God and not the end. Believing that the resurrection is only about being made right with Christ, amazing as that fact is, can limit or even short-circuit the power of the resurrection because we do not understand fully that the truth of the resurrection, the glory of the resurrection of our Lord, is carried by us into the world. It's not just about us turning to Christ. It's about transforming the world through us as well. Jesus' desire is for the world to be transformed. In fact, the Bible talks about those that believe in him as being his reward. We are his reward. The reward for his sufferings. And let, me, let us understand, as horrible as the crucifixion was, that was nothing compared with the Son of God who knew no sin being made sin for us. You know, when he cried and wept in the garden, let this cup depart from me, let, but, yeah, well, excuse me, but let your will be done. He's saying that I do not want this sin upon me. Forget the physical suffering. What is it like for the Son of God who's known no sin to be made sin? Not just some, but all, for all time. So God darkens the world while that happens. Jesus' desires for the world to be transformed by us as we understand that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us and therefore through us into the world. We are not supposed to be overcome by the world we overcome the world by Jesus working through us. It is what Jesus spoke to his disciples about as he taught them to pray. The resurrection means that it is now possible to see the manifestation in the world of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. N.T. Wright, who used to be the Bishop of Durham, writes some excellent books. I heartily recommend them to you. He's written a book about rethinking heaven. And in there he says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project. Not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is all about. And my contention is this. If, if, if we are to see anything happen in the world, then we must see an impact on it. As the power of God's kingdom operates in us and through us. Not just good works, and that's a good thing. You see, when we become like Jesus, we understand that his heart is for the whole man. But making you like Jesus in the place where you are. The church, if you like, without walls. The church incarnated into society. Jesus was God made man. That's what we mean by incarnational. God taking on the flesh, taking on physical body. If you wonder whether Jesus knows what it's like to be you, then just understand that he walked to this earth for 33 years. God's desires for the whole earth. And it's revealed way back in the Old Testament. In Habakkuk 2 verse 14 we read, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Hallelujah. How does that happen? It happens through you and through me. God's plan for the world demands that we have an encounter with the living God that totally transforms us, that we become carriers of his glory, bringing the light of the resurrection into each and every place we go. I don't know where it is you work. I don't know about your families. 
I don't know what it is that you do week by week, but I know this. You are to be Jesus in that place. And you should not be afraid of it. When we look at the life of Jesus, we understand that he went into places that outraged people of that age. Said, what is he going there for? Does he not know who this person is? Do you know the reason Jesus was able to do that was because he was not afraid of sin. He was not afraid of sin. Wherever he went, people turned towards him. So to help us look at what that means, let's just, I just want to read a passage from Ephesians 1, verse 16. This is Paul talking to the churches in Ephesus. He says this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And I just want us to pick a couple of those things out, because I think they will help us to understand that we are not here for survival. We're here to bring the glory of God to the world as the waters cover the sea. The truth about who Jesus is comes to us not as a result of our natural thought. When Simon Peter said, you know, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God, Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because men has not revealed this to you, but God in heaven. And that knowledge comes to us by the supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who, who gives us the wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What knowledge? You know, our world is consumed by knowledge. You know, we can look on our iPads and our iPhones and our Apple Macs and our goodness knows what. We have so much information, so much information, and none of us know how to filter it properly. <coughs> but I'm not talking about that kind of knowledge. I'm not talking about the kind of knowledge that we get from books I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about knowledge that comes through knowing someone. Knowing someone intimately, passionately, relationally, powerfully. See, to know Jesus Christ fully is to be able to discern or see him as he really is. We are not just to know about him, but to experience him relationally, intimately, powerful. That's what he's talking about. Then he says, to know the hope to which he has called you. You know, we're all called to follow Jesus Christ. That is our primary calling. There is Jesus. He paid the price for our sin and he's saying, I'm calling you. I'm calling you to me. This is how much I love you. I want you to follow me. Because in following him is everything that we need to be. People say to me, Mark, there are lots of good people in this world. Why is it that they cannot uh, get into heaven? Why is it that they cannot be, uh, go and meet God? Why can they not get into a relationship with God? And I say, it's true. Sometimes when you look at people, they do look like they're better in some respects than some of the Christians that we know. That's the truth, isn't it? But you see, it's not about goodness. I don't read it's about goodness 
in the Bible. It's about being right with God. And the only way that we can be right with God is if we come through Jesus Christ. And if Jesus had stayed in the grave, then all that Jesus had said and did was a load of lies. But the fact is, he didn't stay dead. He rose again. The hope is that not that we've just been made for heaven. It is the hope that for, is for now because the promises that Jesus made to his disciples, they are true. <coughs> Aren't they? They are true. So everything that Jesus said and did to his disciples, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations and teach them everything I have commanded you. You see, because he rose from the dead, he said to them, boys, you need to understand that you can now go and do all that I did. And more. Jesus says, that all these things that I have done, you will do greater things than these. What did Jesus do? He healed the sick. He made the lame walk. He delivered people of demons. He rose people from the dead. I'm gonna get, one day I'll see that happen. I do believe that. But we have to understand that Jesus didn't mean that you would do greater things in the sense of magnitude. He meant things greater than me in terms of frequency. His idea was that he, the church should grow up deciding that these are the things that need to be done in the world. Peter and John, they go to the gate of the temple and they see a bloke who's got, he's not walking very well. In fact, he's not walking at all. And the guy says, just give me some money. And, the guy, and Peter says, I don't have any money, but I've got better, something better than this. Let me help you walk. Surely that's what we should be like as we walk around our world. Why is it that we're so afraid to say, can I pray with you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? You know, because of his death and resurrection, we are changed as we follow Christ. We inherit eternal life and we have the possibility of inheriting the kingdom of God. We have the possibility of inheriting, along with Christ, his kingdom. Why do I say possibility? Because the extent of Christ's kingdom is affected about by the way in which we think about it. The extent of Christ's kingdom and its effect on the world is affected by the way that we perceive it. If we believe the gifts of Christ that he gave the church through his Holy Spirit were only for the first century, that's exactly what will happen. But if we believe the gifts are for now and the church is the best hope of the world, then that is what we will take out from this place. And it's about time we woke up to the fact that Christ is alive. He died for this world and we need to take that message and the reality and manifestation and demonstration of the kingdom into the world. Why do we hide so much? You see, the real reality of our world is heaven. The real reality is the invisible kingdom. You see, when God spoke, there was nothing. There was nothing. God spoke and the world came into being. The universe was set up in all its right places. Just the word of God. God is awesome. God is awesome. And our God is too small. We need to realize that he has called us for something greater your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven 
And Paul says, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Here's the key. Jesus died. The flesh that he put on as he stepped down out of heaven died. It was in the grave. So God had to raise his body from the grave. And here Paul describes the working of that power in three ways. He says the immeasurable greatness. And that means exceeding. If you can imagine a ball game. You ever thrown a ball to each other? That play that kind of game? Uh, I have to play that game with uh, relatively same sort of size people. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, I am unable to reach the ball as it sails over my head. We understand the point. Exceeding means to overthrow. It means to go beyond you. So what is God saying here? You know, the power that I poured into Christ as I raised him from the dead was massive. And that same power is in you. Immeasurable. Then it talks about greatness, and that talks about the magnitude of something, like a Richter scale. We measure earthquakes by the Richter scale, don't we? Well, when Jesus rose from the dead, there was an earthquake. <laughs> it was impossible for God to reach down his hand and pull out his son without something physical being manifested in the world. And please, Lord... Let that happen again. The world is going to be shaken. The days in which we live will be a shaking. And the question will only be, who is your Lord and Master? Who is your Lord and Master? Who is it that you are following? Which power is it that is at work in you? And the power that is at work in Jesus was the power dunamis. The same power that came down on the disciples at Pentecost. Dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. Dunamis. It always, always, always refers to miraculous power. You're full of miraculous power. Come on, shake up. <laughs> Some of you are not looking so miraculous right now. But you have to understand that it's not about what, you know, what we feel. It is just the fact that God's power is available to us. And we only have to exercise a mustard seed of faith to see that power at work. You know, I just want to get, you know, I, I know Matthew uh, 28 so well, the, the Great Commission. But recently, I really wanted to get a bit more edgy and start using the Mark 16 Great Commission. The only reason I want to do that is because it reminds me that I'm a supernatural person in love with a supernatural God. Mark 16 says this, he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized, which you're going to see today, will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany or will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now let me just say... This is not about a sideshow. This is not about a performance. But as we follow Jesus, as we place our trust in him, these things will follow the gospel of the kingdom that we're preaching. You know, they won't, won't, won't have to worry about it. We don't, we're not like a, a tree that's straining to produce apples. They will come because that is an apple tree. The fruit will just come. But let it come. We talk about the heaven now and not yet. We've majored way too much on the not yet. Now, your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? Well, I think it means your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it means. But we smile, but we don't really believe it. And I challenge to you this morning is that Jesus is alive. And Jesus is not in the tomb. And if he's not in the tomb, where is he? He's in heaven, interceding at the right hand of the Father for us. So that the church will rise up. That he will get the church that he deserves. I cannot forget the words that Jesus taught us. They keep going round and round my mind. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But what is your vision of Jesus today? What is your vision? Because our vision, as we said it, saw in the notices, our vision determines the way that we go and the way that we think. In Revelation 1, it says this, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. <coughs> his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but, as it, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. The Apostle Paul, the same Apostle Paul who wrote that letter to Ephesus, was the same Apostle who was knocked to his feet by something that was brighter than the noonday sun. I don't know what the sun is like in uh, where, we, you know, where we are right now. It's a bit dismal. But in the Middle East, I understand that the noonday sun is the place on the planet where it's, at, it's almost at its most brightest. And Jesus is brighter. So bright. This is who I seek. He who has been raised from the dead and is alive forevermore. And my question for you is how hungry are you for him this morning because we must be filled up with him in Isaiah 43 verse 18 it says this remember not the former things nor consider the things of old behold I am doing a new thing now it springs forth do you not perceive it I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert our God specializes in making ways where there are no ways I don't know what you're facing right now, but I want you to know that if you place your trust in Jesus, a way will be made. And we owe it to the world, don't we? To seek after Christ with all our hearts. We mustn't keep this gospel locked up in this church. And I know that we're doing much, but there's so much more. More there is to taking the supernatural into the world, to seeing the kingdom of God penetrating the darkness. You know, the truth is, we talk about the world getting darker and darker and darker. And it's true. And I think there's a reason for that. I think Satan knows his time is nearly up. But the funny thing is, if you want to see a light, it needs to be really dark. Your light will shine most in the darkest places. 
There needs to be a desperation about us, doesn't there? A desperation that grabs hold of Jesus. Thank God he's raised from the dead. Where would we be without that? <coughs> we need to grab hold of him. You see, it doesn't matter how old we are, how young we are, we can make a difference. We are the best hope for this world. Don't stay locked inside your head, locked inside your life. Don't just get into survival mode. Revelation 1, 2 and 3 talks about he who overcomes. And now we need to be those that overcome. I don't know how that will happen, but I believe that if we think we can through Jesus Christ, we are more likely to do it. There has to be a desperation to know what it really means to be hungry, to be lusting, to going after him almost. When you read the Psalms, you see how David, he just couldn't perceive or conceive of not being with God, of not being uh, deep inside of him. He wanted to know God. He wouldn't let go of him. Jacob, when he wrestled with the angel, he said, Don't, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And we need to have that kind of mentality, that kind of attitude. What will your world look like around you if it's transformed by the power that raised Jesus from the dead? What will it look like? What will it look like? <coughs> We've got some time. And I really want to invite you. You see, we are never ever going to reach this world unless we have an encounter with the living God. You know, Moses, when he traveled through the backside of the desert with the sheep that day, he saw something extraordinary. He saw a burning bush that wasn't consumed. And he could have said, oh, that's interesting, and carried right on. But he stopped, and the Bible says he turned aside. And you know what? I think God loved that. Because Moses turned aside, and he came and saw. And you know, Moses was spoilt after that day. He could not get enough of spending time with his father. And when he spent time with his father for 40 days and nights, he literally shone with the glory of God. We are glory carriers. Perhaps uh, we can come and sing the last song, but can I ask you as we do that, you know, today is an opportunity to see the rest of your life differently. 40 years this year, since I gave my life to Christ. That's a good anniversary. But I promise you this, I'm really hoping to see more of God in my life now than I've seen ever before. We have got to believe that what is before us is greater than what is behind us. And can I ask you as we sing this song, if you want a touch of God this morning, if you want to be filled, to be filled and filled and more filled, because I understand that each of us leaks like everything as we go around this world. If you want to contact with the Holy Spirit and encounter with the living God, then I would love to pray for you. I would love to pray for you. Just come forward. There's a ministry team here. We would love to pray with you. Whatever is the situation in your life, God can turn it round. That's what he's in the business of doing. Father, I just want to pray that you will touch us. Jesus, I thank you that you are risen, that you are not in the tomb, that the tomb could not hold you, that, Father, you raised him from the dead, and now he is seated in his glory, brighter than the noonday sun. And, Lord, we need that vision in our hearts right now. And I pray for each person here. 
Lord, some are receiving calling to different places. Lord, some are receiving knowledge that they can be healed. They're receiving knowledge, Lord, that you want to do something new in their lives. Lord, we are not about survival. We have been made for more than this. Some of you will be facing situations like Esther faced. And Mordecai said to her, for such a time as this, for such a time as this. So I want to pray that you will have courage for such a time as this, to speak out or to be the person that God has called you to be, to be light carriers, to be glory carriers, to transform your workplace, to transform the schools in which you are uh, working in or being a student in. Lord, whatever our age is, never, never, ever, ever let us believe that it is finished. Lord, just now, may your presence come. Fill us, Lord, I pray. Fill us, Lord, I pray.